Hello, I'm Eugene Molero, and welcome to today's Live on Web Infrastructure Week Reporter Roundtable. We're coming to you from the greater Washington, D.C. area, where advocates have spent the past five days focusing on the state of the nation's infrastructure and lobbying policymakers on Capitol Hill to invest in the roads, bridges, rail systems, and ports that are critical to moving the nation's freight. Joining me to talk about it today are three Capitol Hill journalists who follow these issues for their news organizations. They are Jacob Fischler, transportation policy reporter for CQ Rocal, Catherine Wolf, deputy transportation editor for Political Pro, and Melanie Zanona, staff writer for The Hill newspaper. We invite you to participate in today's program. You can email your question or comments to share at ttnews.com. If you're watching on ttnews.com, you can comment directly in the box at the top of the live blog container. And if you're watching via Facebook Live, simply enter your question in the comment box. I want to thank our panelists for joining us today. And let me start with what we had this week with uh, Secretary Chow at the chamber. Uh, she led off the infrastructure week kickoff. And um, she really didn't lay out a plan. But later in the week, uh, Melanie, you wrote about a development um, from the White House about what this $1 trillion infrastructure mm -hmm. plan could look like. That's right. Well, it was certainly a busy infrastructure week. Um, not all of it was transportation related, of course. But there were a couple significant developments that I think really came out that all of us reporters were really tracking. Um, the latest one was that Sean Spicer, the press secretary for the White House, came out and tweeted that the budget proposal from the White House that is expected to be released on Tuesday is going to contain some funding for infrastructure. And that is supposed to be quote, the first step towards this trillion dollar infrastructure push. Um, so what we know so far is it's going to have $200 billion. Unclear how that's going to be paid for, uh, but there will be an emphasis on private investment, private sector money, which, as you know, is part of Trump's um, infrastructure plan and yeah. one of the top priorities for the administration. And we didn't have to wait a few weeks. We got this first steps uh, from Spicer. Um, and this $200 billion, this is something Secretary Chow kept saying will be something to help leverage uh, funding for a transportation bill. Uh, also, during her keynote address, she not only uh, said that it will be for infrastructure projects, but it will include broadband and veterans mm -hmm. hospitals. Kathy, what was your takeaway from her keynote speech? Well, I think, you know, the primary thing that she the primary thing that I noticed was when she said to expect you know because the timeline for this infrastructure plan has has sort of gone back and forth at, at least in in terms of the way that she has talked about it she talked about May she's talked about fall and I think in her speech she outlined in the clearest way what exactly she meant there's actually both in some ways yeah. that there's going to be some kind of I believe she called it a statement of principles coming out this month um, and then with the expectation that Congress would follow suit with some kind of legislative package, and I believe she said the third quarter. So, I, and to me, I think, you know, this budget coming out is the, really the first chance um, for the administration to, to, to show us exactly what they want to do. And whether they'll do that or not, I'm not sure. Did she mean May? Is, did she mean the budget is going to be the statement of principles exactly. that's expected in May? Yeah. Or, or will there be something separate? following after 
unknown, but that I would say that's that's certainly what I'm watching for, like what exactly is going to be in the budget and how much detail it's going to have. And you're referring to the fiscal 2018 budget proposal right. coming out of next OMB week. next week. Yes. Uh, any insight from, you know, your colleagues or yourself at CQ as to what, you know, the what to expect either in transportation or um, from the budget proposal? Well, in the transportation world, uh, I don't know really what to expect beyond what what we've been shown in the in the skinny budget um, as it's called. Uh, I know, yeah. <laughs> uh, the that um, zeroed out a couple of popular programs: uh, the essential air service in aviation um, and t Tiger grants, which are discretionary uh, grants from the the, the uh, Secretary of Transportation's office. Um, Chow said something interesting this week uh, at the EPW committee in the Senate that uh, that. that perhaps is back on the table and could be um, the administration might kind of walk back from that. Um, other than that, I think, you know, $200 billion is a number that's out there. We don't know. Um, I, think, I think it's unclear if that's going to be really direct spending by the federal government or, um, or if that is number will also include some tax credits, which are scored the same way by OMB. Um, I do want to get to what happened on Capitol Hill this week. But let's talk a little bit about Infrastructure Week, events you guys went to. Um, I was, um, you know, listening to the Chamber of Commerce President, Tom Donahue. He, again, sounded the alarm about the need for more money for projects and, you know, to bring the private, um, private investors in there. Uh, and also to raise the gas tax. You know, he really uh, called on that. Um, what were some of the events or panels that you guys um, really enjoyed, either had some strong takeaways, wrote about, or really, you know, found useful and part of your day, daily reporting? Um, I would say probably the newsiest thing I wrote this week came out of one of the hearings with okay. Secretary Chow, um, where she told senators that there would not be a list of projects included in the infrastructure bill, which I think a lot of people were either hoping or suspected that there will be some sort of indication of exactly which projects they want to get included, for, especially with direct funding. Um, so I think that was really interesting to hear from her, especially at the, in the same breath saying essentially that she was – uh, the administration is supporting the gateway program in the Northeast Corridor. Oh, um, yeah. So I think that signals to me that there is going to be some mechanism to get money to projects that aren't capable of tapping private sector dollars. Um, there could be more creative ways to ensure that money flows to them, but perhaps it won't be singled out in the infrastructure package. That's a good point. Uh, Kathy, what about you? Um, we had, you know, Eno was involved in Infrastructure Week. You had IBTTA. Uh, APTA, ASHTO, everybody was there, ARPA. What was one takeaway from the, the week? Well, I think the takeaway is usually what it, what it always is, which is that people want more investment. Uh, but how do we pay for it is always a problem. But I, I actually would like to go back to something that Melanie said about the project list. And I agree that that was one of the, definitely one of the newsmakers this week was, was what Chow said about this project. And one of my questions from the start, if you listen to the way they, they, they have talked about this infrastructure plan, they've talked about setting up some kind of commission to recommend projects. Unclear what that would be, unclear how it would fit in with this infrastructure package that they're planning. Um, but I think, to me, the way that I've been listening, listening to it and trying to figure out how it would work is you're talking about possibly something like an infrastructure bank. I don't know yeah. what exactly kind of mechanism they're talking about, but 
but that would suggest um, that actually I think dovetails with what with what the secretary said today about this whatever this infrastructure plan is not having a project list. Um, it, maybe it'll be outside of the bill. Maybe it'll be like like I said, like an infrastructure bank or something like that. I thought that was really interesting. I think the other thing that kind of um, that we reported on that kind of flew under the radar a little bit is if you look at her prepared her prepared testimony, she had a quote in in there about wanting to wanting this that the administration desires a long term fix for our transportation system, which to me implicates the problems with the Highway Trust Fund. I don't know what that means. She gave no details, but it suggests it's at least on their mind, and I think that would be welcome for a lot of people who spoke during Infrastructure Week. And this was Wednesday when she was before the Senate EPW committee. That's right. Um, and she fielded questions from, um, you know, the chairman, uh, the ranking member, Tom Carper, you know, talking about the need for investments. And uh, I want to ask you, Jacob, the one thing that the secretary, uh, aside from the list, uh, she also said that everything was on the table. Um, what was your takeaway when you heard that? Yeah, I think um, the administration is not sure yet how they're going to get the money to pay for um, this big initiative they want to do. Um, and saying that everything is on the table, uh, I think, just implies that they, they haven't set a course from A to B. How are they going to raise the money? Um, how are they going to spend it? You know, what projects they're going to do? Um, I thought it was interesting that you didn't have people uh, objecting as strongly to raising the gas tax. You know, if you bring that up, people say, oh, well, everything's on the table. They don't Im immediately dismiss it, um, even in, on the Republican side. Um, so that was an indication to me that, that that could be something they're thinking about. And uh, Senator Jim Inhofe, uh, who's a past chairman of EPW, um, said that that's something they're probably going to take a look at. What did you guys think about that, that there was not a rejection of raising the fuel tax? Were they just, for lack of a better term, kind of just bluffing a little? That, or are they serious that they're really, this is in fact on the table? Because it's been the radioactive, Paul Ryan had that famous hearing like two years ago, mm -hmm. you know, and he said absolutely not right out of the gate. So do, how should we take them, lack of a better term, seriously, or are they uh, just, you know, throwing it out there, but ultimately they're right. you know, just going to do like a gimmick thing? I think they are playing it safe when they say everything's on the table. I mean, on the one hand, you know, we saw what happened when Trump even opened the door just a little bit by saying he was considering yeah. the idea. And, you know, it sent shockwaves through the Capitol, Sean Spicer had to immediately walk it back. <laughs> yeah. um, so I don't think anyone, especially someone like Schuster or Tao, is going to come out and say, yeah, we're considering this. This is you know, something we're, we want to use. Um, but by not taking it off the table, they also protect themselves from saying you know, they're not willing to do whatever it takes to get this big infrastructure package. Um, you, know, you can't say, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. You know? like, yeah. they, they can't say that they're going to not do the gas tax. But I think the political reality is that there's no way that this gets done in this Congress, a Republican-led Congress. You're talking with, raising the gas tax. Yeah, the, yeah, with Speaker Ryan, who was, as Ways and Means chairman, one of the strongest voices against this. I don't see him allowing that to come to the House floor. And what about you, Kathy? Are they going to approve the gas tax or you know, I, no way? One thing that I have learned over the past couple of cycles is that I am apparently no longer good at predicting things, so I'm not going to say anything definitive, but I will say this. Um, Something that I've noticed, I actually, I actually agree with, with a lot of what you said. One thing that I've noticed is that um, 
that nobody is talking specifics about but sure everything's on the table but you know the last time the gas tax got raised it got raised as part of a broader budget deal 93 and that's right and and so now we also have another moment where there could potentially be a very wide-ranging you know tax code overhaul that would provide potentially a, a, a moment where they could do something similar so I'm not saying they will or they won't but as I'm watching this what I'm looking for are specific discussions around this when when I start seeing or continue to not see something like a gas tax raised in conjunction with discussions of a tax code overhaul, then I'll think, okay, that would trip my ear. When they, people start getting specific about what's going to be in here and and start lobbying for it or don't. I, I think right now things are so unclear and nebulous that it's it's too early. But that that's what I would be watching for because I think that's the, that's a place where if it's going to happen, it would happen. Um, but I almost feel like discussions about a gas tax hike are already... They're already done. Like, We've been I think there, peop- done that? Well, no, I think it's already, the moment has passed, really. Like, okay. um, cars are going to continue to get more fuel efficient. Uh, I think, actually, the halt, I think the, the drop in vehicle miles traveled is, has reversed itself. But for a while there, people were actually also driving less. And I don't think that gets any better. And so I think that, I think that we're already past the, the moment where we start talking, we're, we're realistic to talking about a gas tax increase and on to the moment where people are already starting to look ahead 10 years and look towards something like VMT, okay. vehicle miles travel. Emulate the model in Oregon, California, see which one's better. Well, I think it's just, that's just the reality. The, the gas tax is, is, a, is a failing model for a reason, and you can prop it up again and go through all that fight, or you can invest your political capital in something that's not going to be obsolete again in 10 years. Right. What do you make of... Uh, <clears throat> Your your colleague Tanya Snyder, she asked uh, the chairman of EPW, um, John Barrazzo of Wyoming, uh, what he meant when he said the committee was working on on something on their own, and then he clarified that EPW is in fact working on a bill. Uh, you know, what was your takeaway when you know you heard the chairman say that the Senate is working on something, and now? you know, while they wait for the White House to give them something? Well, I think that's, I would expect that they would be. Okay. I mean, and, and I think even in the, even the the best case scenario as envisioned by the administration doesn't seem to involve them putting forward a fully fleshed out legislative package. That everything that I've heard coming from the administration to the extent that they've said anything is that they're planning on putting out some principles and then expecting Congress to sort of take the ball and run with it. So I would expect Congress to already be working on their own principles. I mean, that certainly the administration would inform what they do, but I don't think anyone in Congress is going to just sort of abdicate that and be like, sure, we'll just do this. Well, I ask that because... Um, the dynamics now, you had Chairman Bill Schuster on the House side saying that he is, in fact, going to wait for the, the, the guidance from the White House. And then, you know, in the fall, you know, work on a bill and, um, and have a markup. Um, well, I think it's kind of interesting the different approaches that you're seeing uh, with Brass on the Senate side and Schuster on the House. With Schuster, I mean, I think they're probably both working behind the scenes to kind of get stuff ready, but Schuster's in public is very much, every time you ask him, we're waiting for the administration, we want to work with the administration, we don't want to get ahead of the administration, and Brass has been not, um, it's said some, some of the same things, but has been less shy about 
holding hearings um, about the needs for rural America, for example, and yeah. uh, kind of being upfront about what he wants to see uh, in a bill and kind of sending those public signals versus working behind the scenes. Um, the other thing um, Chow mentioned this week was the Fastlane grants. Mm -hmm. that They're going to be coming out. Um, what are you guys hearing? You're hearing uh, the same thing, you know, sometime soon this month and, you know, addressing free projects nationwide? Yeah, I don't. I don't really have yeah. any additional yeah. details. I think it. It seems like they're fairly imminent, and I think they've been working on them for some time. The one thing um, during the week, I bumped into uh, Marsha Hill of Building America's Future, mm -hmm. and we talked about you know her group's um, efforts to gather support from lawmakers and mm -hmm. from other groups. Uh, and we. She also mentioned you know that what we need right now is some leadership at the top, and I think we do have. A clip of that video. Um, it, I bumped into her at the Chamber of Commerce, mm -hmm. and you know her group is led by former Secretary Ray LaHood, uh, Transportation Secretary, uh, and former Pennsylvania Governor Ed Rendell, who kicked off Trans uh, Infrastructure Week over mm -hmm. at the Philadelphia Airport. Yeah. Um, while we wait for the for the clip, do we have the clip ready? Okay. The disagreements comes over how we're going to pay for it. Um, but what is really needed is leadership at the top. So the Trump administration is, when they come out with their formal plan, they really need to get behind it. And there are many groups around town, ours included, who if it is something we can uh, agree with, and we will try to help make it happen. Um. I bring, I bring up the Marsha Hill thing because she talked about leadership. Um, and also, uh, I bring this up because I know that Secretary Chow has been on the job just for a few months. That's what she tells everybody. Uh, but she's really not making herself accessible. And I don't want to dwell on this too much, but I know that you know we've written about this. Um, mm -hmm. And if we can go around the table and... You know, I know that we've put in requests, um, you know, to interview her about freight concerns, the trucking industry, et cetera. Uh, but also, just a quick background, you know, speaking of LaHood, I remember LaHood, he would be so accessible, take so many questions that you actually run out of stuff to ask the guy. And Secretary Fox used to have these quarterly pen and pads with reporters, which was incredible. Um, and when I first started as a transportation reporter, you know, it was, I had come over from the healthcare side and we didn't have any access there. So I don't know if it's that unusual, um, broadly speaking, but I know for us as transportation reporters, it was quite the contrast going from the last administration to the new administration. But what I will say is it has only been a few months. They don't even have all their staff. Um, I think there is some reluctance to uh, make the secretary accessible to the press because they don't have answers to the questions they know we're going to be asking. And like Kathy already said, the times Chow has spoken and given a deadline or a timeline or said some of these things, it's kind of went back and forth. Um, so my sense would be that they're trying to avoid um, putting her in that spot of having to answer these questions where there just aren't answers yet. I circle back to, I think, you and I were talking to Senator Inhofe after a hearing on Tuesday, and he mentioned that um, the Secretary had been vague during her confirmation hearing. Uh, you know, could you add to that? Um, do you feel that it's because she's still trying to staff up and, you know? Um, well, I certainly, 
I, I don't know what, <laughs> what she's thinking, what her strategy is. But it could be, um, you know, I, t uh, I, I moderated another panel uh, this week. Um, and somebody brought up the point that uh, there isn't really a point person in the, in the White House um, yet in terms of this infrastructure initiative. So whether it's, um, it's some days it's Gary Cohn, some days it's DJ Gribben, um, it, where does Chow fit in? You know, it, presumably she's very active, but uh, it might have to do with the administration kind of uh, producing a cohesive message as well. Um, Kathy, you guys wrote a little bit about this. We did, yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely, uh, you know, she's had a handful of public events where uh, she hasn't made herself available to the press afterward, and that's, that's generated some frustration, not only at my publication, but I think at everyone here at the table. Um, I would tend to agree with Melanie. I think that probably this is a new administration. They're still getting their legs under them. Uh, they've, they've put out a really ambitious plan and still haven't, you know, details of which are nebulous, um, which is what exactly what all of us are going to be asking about. And it would not surprise me if some of it was due to that. You don't want to set your boss up for not being able to answer questions. Um, but that's pure speculation on my part. Um, and I also would say, you know, I certainly appreciate the comparison to former Secretary LaHood because he, he was quite accessible, but he was also a member of Congress for many, many years and yeah. had to deal with that dynamic, which probably prepared him for dealing with people like us <laughs> <laughs> considerably more than someone else might be. Um, but yes, it's, it's certainly been um, something of concern and, and an area of frustration for, I know, the press corps that covers DOT regularly. You know, I don't mean to dwell on it too much, but she, you know, Secretary Chow is also not a rookie. She was, was in the cabinet before, you know, so uh, to me, for Infrastructure Week, for being on the Hill, I just thought that there was going to be an opportunity for her to at least address, you know, the press corps. And, you know, you, we work with, you know, politicians all the time. You know, the pros know how to feel some questions, kind of do a quick non-answer stuff. So I was expecting her to at least, you know, do some acknowledgement. Uh, because I just feel like this is a trend right now. Well, she certainly is probably one of the most qualified and experienced cabinet, cabinet secretaries that the president appointed. Um, I, you know, I'm not familiar with how she led uh, the labor department. Um, maybe we should talk to other reporters and see what was that, was that was like, if they had more access or not. Um, maybe that's just how she runs things, and you know, maybe we should expect it to be similar for the DOT as well. Um, moving on... Um, Talk about, you know, the DOT, um, they just nominated Je Jeff Rosen as Deputy Secretary at DOT. Um, what can we expect from him? Is this going to be an injection of policy, uh, just adding to the brain trust over there? Well, that typically is, a, is kind of the day-to-day nitty-gritty uh, policy. Um, it, it's a very important position in the DOT. Uh, I don't have that much to add about about Mr. Rosen's record, but um, but I thought it was interesting that uh, there was a lot of Democratic opposition in the Senate to, to his vote. I think he only had 54-something mm -hmm. yes votes. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know really what to make of that, but it is uh, definitely something to, to keep an eye on. Was that really uh, a test vote, just the Democrats really telling the administration that, 
hey, we want money for transit, we want money for you know, our infrastructure grants? Oh, I definitely think that's part of it. And we, we heard some lawmakers say that both during the uh, committee process and then you know, during the floor vote as well. Um, they want to make sure that the administration, they want to hold the administration accountable. And there were con concerns with Mr. Rosen and his record, um, as well as just more broadly speaking, that the administration did come out and propose some cuts for transportation. Uh, they said, hey, this isn't matching up. What are we going to, what can we really expect here from the DOT? Um, but I do think the vote, it was interesting to see, you know, so many no votes for a DOT deputy, deputy secretary, which I think is a little unusual. But it could just be getting wrapped up in the broader atmosphere on Capitol Hill right now, for right. sure. If, I mean, if you go back to, to Chow's confirmation vote, uh, uh, Minority Leader Schumer voted, voted against yeah. her. Uh, the, she's married to, to his counterpart, the Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Um, and I just... Um, and as Melanie said, she's, she's eminently qualified for her position. I think it just kind of speaks to the atmosphere uh, on Capitol Hill and, uh, and in Washington generally right now. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, Senator Cory Booker from my home state of New Jersey mm -hmm. during the committee vote for That's Jeffrey right. Rosen. Give such a passionate speech <laughs> saying that he's doing this for people at Amtrak, Newark, Penn Station. Yes. Um, your take, did you have some reaction? I, you know, I think they both basically laid it out. I think a lot of it was about the general atmosphere. I think a lot of it was about laying down a marker. I think some of it was probably per concerns about his, you know, him personally and the things that he's done and the positions that he's taken. But I will say that Jeff Rosen, is, he's a respected um, attorney and policymaker here in Washington. He's a well-known quantity, and, um, you know, I, I think that you'll see that borne out. What's the anticipation now that there's going to be a cascade of nominations uh, for the sub-agencies and, you know, fill the, the, the DOT tree, to borrow from a Senate term? Uh, is that what we should anticipate? I would hope so. I mean, there was a, a lag between the last nomination, between the time they, President Trump announced the intent to when it was actually sent to the Senate. Um, so hopefully we start to see more positions fill in and they get staffed up and then you know, we, they really get the ball rolling here. Yeah. What I'm hearing out of the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration is that they're expecting to be the last kid on the bus to get, you know, uh, a nominee for a full-time, uh, a permanent administrator. They're working with an acting administrator now, Daphne Jefferson. Uh, and the dynamics at DOT, FMCSA is always kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, after the highway administration, you know, you get over to FMCSA. Um, let's go back to the hearing because... Um, Secretary Chow talked about, you know, the Tiger Grants. And mm. here she, um, from the skinny budget, uh, they eliminated money for it. And now she wasn't as declarative as rejecting money for the Tiger Grants. That's what, that was what I thought she said. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, she said two things. She first kind of tried to explain what was going on in the skinny budget. She was saying, we thought that this uh, half a billion dollars that annually goes into these discretionary funds we could take that and put it into, I think she called it like a holistic uh, initiative or whatever term she used. Uh, so basically that would go towards the, the administration's infrastructure plan. Um, then she said, you know, we, we heard you guys on Capitol Hill. It's a, it's a very popular program. And, um, and it's something that we are discussing, you know, in the interim between the skinny budget and the full budget request that the administration is discussing if they should kind of put, ask for funding again. And she kind of walked back that. Um, zeroing out that was in the skinny budget. 
And she also did explain, look, this is the first budget of a new administration. They wanted to make their mark about, make a statement about spending in general. Um, so I think we can expect that maybe the actual proposal that comes out, it's going to include $200 billion for infrastructure. Maybe the Tiger grants get put into a pot of money elsewhere. Um, so, you know, I think she was, she was in a tough spot a little bit here, you know, trying to defend these agency cuts and reconcile that with the infrastructure proposal. Um, but, you know, I think she, she did a good job explaining, like, this isn't, this isn't, we all know this is not going to become law either. Um, this is just the first budget, and maybe next year we'll see something different. Well, were you guys surprised with the, by the pushback that um, the administration got from Congress that all these people came out of the woodwork saying, hey, we love Tiger Grants? Because there was a point where uh, the Tiger Grants, I know, um, you know, former senator um, from Louisiana, well, I don't know if his name escaping me, uh, David Vitter, uh, was leading the opposition on the Tiger Grants, saying that they were political, that, you know, they were kind of gifts from the administration. Mm -hmm. I was somewhat surprised that everybody it seemed, you know, was clamoring for them. Well, I think some of the opposition is that they were um, author they were never authorized. They're appropriated every year. They were set up by Obama's economic stimulus package. Um, but as the states started seeing the benefits and these senators and congressmen in their districts started seeing how popular these programs were and what they were getting for them, they have a really wide range of el eligibility. Um, you know, I think they're starting to see that, hey, maybe, maybe we want to hold on to these grants. Um, anything about the Tiger stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, first of all, I, I mean, maybe I'm just extra cynical, but w w I don't disagree with either of the perspective in terms of what Chow said and kind of trying to walk it back a little bit, but I also have heard her in the past at least say, you know, yes, we made these cuts, but we're going to make it up in our infrastructure plan. So I don't. I don't necessarily know if she meant to expect it to not be cut in their full budget or if she meant, look, we're just going to take care of this another way and another piece of legislation. So th that's, that's my caution. Um, number two, in terms of the popularity of the TIGER program, I guess I'm, I'm a sort of bottom line kind of person. I don't think that Congress is going to go along with those cuts, no matter what the budget document says. Is it because the genie's out of the bottle? Is I think people like the I think people like the program. Um, I, there have been other attempts to cut and and I think even defund Tiger that mm -hmm. have failed, and so I don't I don't see why it would suddenly be gone. And I think you know they're they're perpetually oversubscribed. There's clearly a pent up desire for this money, and uh, that translates into political capital, right? Like if you get if you have um, a transit system in your state or your district and they want a grant then and, and you're calling your member of Congress saying I don't you know I want some of this money don't cut it like that that carries some weight. And um, you know I just I think regardless of sort of what the budget has or doesn't have I don't think the Congress is going to zero out tiger grants. Let me go quickly to a question that we received from one of our uh, viewers uh, and he wrote Will there ever be a time when transportation tax dollars go only to transportation projects? Um, Jacob, you write about budgets? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, ever is a long time, right? Uh, but I think that as long as you're able to, um, and if, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, if this person would include transit and that kind of thing. Some people are very. Um, they just want it for the highways themselves. Right. So, yeah. Right. But then there's also um, things like bike paths and uh, that are, you can kind of make a case for transportation, but people will also say this is really not a federal role. Um, I think that as long as, uh, you're, you're always going to have 
ways that you can kind of twist money around and, and make it uh, go into to a, kind of go off to the side a little bit. That's my opinion. But. Um, just going back to Transport Infrastructure Week, because you brought up bike paths, the second panel, the panel right after Secretary Chow, uh, there was a, the, pres the CEO of the National Association of Manufacturers, then there was a, a gentleman next to him. Uh, I'll look it up. I'll email it to our viewers. <laughs> but he flat out said during his panel, he said, by the way, I hate bike paths. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. But someone else said, or maybe this was the same person, that, but I support them because yeah. one, one person on a bike is just one less car that I have to worry about on the highway. Right. Yeah. Which and I uh, thought was interesting. I know. Uh, and then during Infrastructure Week, uh, the American Transportation Research Institute came up with a report saying that um, in 2015, congestion along the country's highways uh, cost the trucking industry $63.4 billion. Melanie, you spoke with the mayor of Los Angeles, That's who right. was on the Capitol Hill on Tuesday for, before the Senate. Uh, he talked about, you know, bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic uh, in L.A. Yeah, it's a huge problem in L.A., um, and the mayor is now leading a task force um, on infrastructure to specifically work with both the administration and with the Congress to try to help shape this trillion-dollar infrastructure package. Um, but, you know, he said, look, L.A., a lot of cities are moving ahead without federal involvement without this infrastructure bill, even if it doesn't help, there's ways that we can move forward on our own. I think some of the things that he at least wants to see um, is maintaining these grant programs or some sort of grant program, um, ways they can access federal dollars with the help of the federal government. Um, but you know, he's, he seems pretty optimistic. Uh, I asked him on a scale of one to 10, how optimistic are you that an infrastructure bill gets done this Congress, not this year? Wow. He's at a seven, which is pretty high, I thought. Seven out of ten being very yes, optimistic? Yes, ten being the highest. Okay. <laughs> so he, uh, he's pretty optimistic. He's met with, um, at least this week, he sat down with uh, Schumer and also Secretary Chow he sat down with, testified at a hearing, um, and he plans to come back and continue meeting with leaders. And spoke be at the kickoff event at Infrastructure right. Week. It had a really good uh, anecdote about La La Land when he was at, <laughs> yeah. before the Senate. Uh, and um, that's, that was a running theme of Infrastructure Week was congestion uh, and the, the problems that congestion have not only on the freight industry but also on motorists. Kathy, you've written extensively about, you know, how many hours we waste stuck in traffic. Um, was this... And was there any new insight this week on the problems of congestion uh, that we advanced the ball in fixing the problem? Not that I saw, but I, but I will, but I was not specifically for Infrastructure Week. But I actually feel like um, this is something that didn't get a whole lot of coverage here in Washington D.C. But when uh, New Jersey Transit had all of its problems with the Amtrak derailment, and there were a couple of days when. Um, when you know commuting via New Jersey Transit just was not. It was not possible, was not working. And you really saw, like, the effect of dumping all those commuters out onto the roads. I mean, um, it was taking, like, you know, an hour and a half to go 10 miles or something oh. like that. Like, people who normally do commute by car um, were, have, were, were basically just the roads got so locked up by these people who were displaced, who couldn't, who had to get, you know, they had to get to where they needed to go, and so they had to take a car to do it when they normally take transit. So I think, you know, back to the question about about transportation tax money being only dedicated to 
core purposes. And I think there's there's definitely a school of thought out there that the gas tax money shouldn't go to transit, that it should only go to highways. And I think that that demonstrates the 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 conflict with that because when you have people who normally commute via rail out on the street, it it still affects you in your car. What about um, we, Jacob, I turn to you. There's been two dozen states, give or take, I think it's 24, uh, recently that have raised the gas tax because they're saying they can't wait for uh, the federal government to, you know, do it themselves. do you anticipate more states to continue in that trend? And uh, maybe the, I, notwithstanding what you, your comments about the gas tax, you know, being an outdated model, but, you know, do you think that the states are going to continue in that direction? Uh, I see no reason not to. I mean, uh, I think um, we're expect you know, red states like South Carolina did this month uh, recently, Louisiana, I think. Uh, you were telling me it was expected to uh, in, the, in the near future. Um, and like Kathy mentioned, there's like no, um, <laughs> there's, it's a heavy lift on Capitol Hill to do something uh, with the federal government. Um, there's kind of two, two, two thoughts out there uh, related to, to states doing it. One is Democrats, uh, Senator Tom Carper in particular, likes to say, look, all these states are doing it. Most of these state legislators don't lose their job, right? The, the voters understand what's going on. And then uh, other folks might say, well, yeah, the states are raising their gas taxes, and if we do it at the federal level, that's going to create, that's going to be too much. That's going to that's be too much of a burden because the states have, have taken care of it. So, um, you know, you can kind of read it either way. And we're having this conversation, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, Grover Norquist and America's for Tax Reform and his pl- the pledge that he has members sign. That that's it, right. Is, so because a lot of these guys on Capitol Hill signed up to this pledge, that's why they're not taking that tough vote? Well, not all of them. Congressman Lou Barletta, he actually signed that pledge, but he also does support um, an increase of the gas tax. And when I asked him about it, he said, I don't think a pledge like that should stand in the way of something as important as coming up with a long-term funding solution. Now, I don't think every lawmaker is going to be as willing to ditch that pledge in favor of this. Um, but, you know, there is, there is starting to be a recognition, at least, that... There needs to be some sort of solution for the Highway Trust Fund. Barletta sits on the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. That's right. Um, the- I think that's a little simplistic also because opposition to raising a gas tax is not only from Republicans. There are Democrats who are also not willing to go that far. And I even, during the last debate, um, Senator Boxer, who's, of course, now no, no longer in Congress. From California, but, yeah. Right, but at the time, she also was not willing to go along with a gas tax increase. And I think Obama. the most that she was willing to do was to index it to inflation. Yeah. There's, there's also ways, too. Um, there's been bills that have tried to get around the, 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 the no-tax-hike pledge by including other offsets in that in order to get around that pledge and, you know, saying, hey, well, we're raising this, but we're also making other offsets here. Um, so there are ways around that that pledge standing in the way. So it's not an excuse for just the Republicans. Yeah. And famously, I remember going back, I don't, this is turning into nostalgic Ray LaHood <laughs> time over here, uh, but I remember the former Transportation Secretary famously saying the, he would support a gas tax and then the White House quickly saying, hey, slow down, Yeah, they buddy. yanked him back. That's yeah. right, yes. Yeah. Um, and I, it's, it's unfortunate that... Uh, 
the former representative uh, Jim Oberstar is no longer with us, but no. he, he talked quite candidly about how they were very close to raising the gas tax following the bridge collapse in his yeah. home state. Yeah. Um, and then they, uh, that he, he, he claims that they were ready to vote it in, and then they went on recess, and then the, the moment passed, and that was it. That's right. Um, I do want to wrap up with, you know, look ahead on Capitol Hill and revisit what the talks on Capitol Hill. But I'm going to summarize this one question that we got from one of our viewers, which is when, you, when we look at the landscape, the transportation landscape in the coming years, maybe five, ten years down the road, you know, what influence will autonomous vehicle, autonomous technology, what would that be the role of autonomous technology? Are we going to all have, you know, smart cars, you know, maybe flying cars? Uh, what do we think? Well, uh, there was a, a House Appropriations Subcommittee hearing on that topic uh, this week. Um, you know, I think the kind of thought out there is that we're not, A, we're not, the, the um, kind of system is going to change a bit where we're not going to, I might not own a driverless car, you might not own a driverless car. Not but, yet. No, but, but the, uh, the system will be, you know, manufacturers, whether that's GM, Ford, or like Google um, tech companies, are going to you know own fleets and kind of offered on a ser at a service as a, as a service rather than a, a, a take home product. Um, I think there's a potential there to ease congestion as we were talking about um, with sensors and kind of sense and avoid technology. You can uh, fit more cars uh, at, at the same time, um, but also the uh, house members were saying this week that. That doesn't fix everything. You know, you can't build your way out of congestion is a, is a common refrain. And the question was raised, well, if we have a, a system of autonomous vehicles, can we cut back on transit spending, uh, which is expensive? And the answer from, uh, from some of the witnesses was no. You need, you need to invest in that as well to, to keep, um, you know, cars off the road. And, and cars can, roads can be just as congested with autonomous vehicles as they can with traditional not only congestion, but also um, an argument that we hear from members of Congress is safety, that autonomous technology will boost safety. And we've heard that from, you've reported on that. You know, Senator Susan Collins from Maine has talked about that. That's right. I mean, I think that's one of the most appealing aspects to many of these lawmakers. The congestion is a great thing as well, but saving lives. And the DOT especially has launched a new initiative trying to get down to zero, zero fatalities on the roads. Um, and these vehicles, this technology holds that tremendous potential. Where you run into problems is when you still have a mix of the self-driving cars and the human drivers on the road. And until it's a, a fully autonomous system, you're still going to be having accidents. It's never going to be zero, as long as you still have people behind the wheel. Um, and Kathy, I know you prefaced us by saying that, you know, your powers of prediction are not what they used to be. And yet I just made one not too long ago. <laughs> That's right. And here's another one. Um, so in 10 years, are we all going to be driving Teslas and we're all going to be in Elon Musk's vision and going to <laughs> Hyperloop? Uh, I've, I've, who knows? But I find that hard to believe only because, um, you know, I, I think that most likely adoption of these, these kinds of technologies will come in the commercial space because that's where the money is being invested. Um, I think you'll see... You'll continue to see uh, companies like Uber uh, trying to push for, you know, basically drivers are a pain for them. And so 
it's a business decision, so to the extent that it's driven by their business decisions, I think I could see some progress there. Um, I think that the trucking industry is very interested in not having to deal with drivers and all of their hours of service issues and personnel issues and yeah. you know so i think the idea of dr like driverless platooning is probably really um attractive that's when there's a lead truck and then several trucks right. behind it yes and and just the idea and, and you know and i and i will say in terms of the safety you're right safety is very very much um attractive reason for policymakers and also for for the industry and i think it's fairly widely accepted in the transportation space that when you increase automation you, you decrease human error. That's certainly the case in the aviation space, and I don't see why it wouldn't be in the in the space of, of cars. Of course, you also make a good point that really the problems seem to come when you enter. You have a driverless car interacting with a human, and you know, uh, even just a simple example: if you're if you're at a four-way stop, and you're not quite sure whose turn it is to go next, but somebody goes like this, so they waves you in, you know, and you're okay. Now I'm going to go. That doesn't happen with you. You can't wave a driverless car forward and say, "No, you, you know, you can go <laughs> yeah. ahead." Like it, this is a simple example of some of a pretty complex problem. Um, and it's just, and also when you read about it, when you talk to the players, it's so exciting. These guys, there's a race to be the leading autonomous vehicle company. There's a race for having the best technology. You know, there was intrigue. A former Google, there's a lawsuit. You know, former Google guy went to Uber and apparently. Allegedly. I hope someone writes a screenplay on this whole saga. Yeah, right. Maybe it should be us. <laughs> yeah, I, I got it. That would be great. Um, we have time for one more question before we start wrapping up. Um, and I wanted to ask um, about regulations. And we and just a quick pr uh, preface that that's something the administration has been mm -hmm. talking about. You know, basically, um, you know, what's the landscape looking like for reforming environmental regulations and minimizing and streamlining uh, you know, construction, the permitting process for construction companies? Well, that's obviously a chief priority of this infrastructure package. I think it's interesting that the secretary also decided to testify for the first time um, on Capitol Hill since her confirmation hearing in front of EPW, the Environment Public Works Committee. I think that signals that the the proposal that comes out of the White House is going to focus on streamlining a lot of these permit approvals. But you're going to hear pushback from especially Democrats who say, number one, the last two highway bills um, streamlined some of these, and even those aren't through yet. So why don't we wait on those before we start going streamlining, hacking more? And number two, I think there's going to be some concern from the environmental aspect about rolling that back and what effect it's going to have. Um, but we have heard the administration say, DJ Gribben said at an event, as well as Secretary Chow, that you can still be environmentally friendly while streamlining and making this process easier for project delivery. Speaking of DJ Gribben, uh, the infrastructure policy uh, director at the White House, he committed one of my personal pet peeves. Uh, he used props for displaying, <laughs> you know, sending a message, because I'm anti-prop comics, I'm not calling him a comic, but, uh, you know, when he was talking about all the red tape, um, uh, you know, he had this whole list of, by Giant the way, chart. Yeah. And, and that only looked that big because of the font. You can fit all <laughs> of that in one page, by the way. Um, so your takeaway, you think that, um, you know, the Congress, there's appetite for... Yeah. Streamlining um, the regulatory well, process so again. The, the, uh, Melanie makes some great points. Uh, and and the, the, the prop chart, I think, also made a point, which was, look, there's all these different things going on uh, yeah. that are really just trying to do the same kind of 
core things. So, uh, for example, um, you know, I th well, I'm, I'm going to blank on any examples here, but uh, the uh, you know the idea is that if there is there's one agency does a review, the uh, the next agency doesn't have to do replicate that work. Um, and I think that you could see some support for um, for those kinds of reforms. Uh, uh, you know, broad bipartisan support for that. Um, I think that Democrats are going to be wary of saying you can you can roll back environmental regulations and not hurt the environment. That's just kind of counterintuitive. And and um, um, yeah, it, the other thing is uh, Peter DeFazio, the, the ranking Democrat on House Transportation Infrastructure, has talked about kind of uh, regulatory reform is kind of a gimmick to to get around the idea of. He really wants to see direct federal spending and any kind of tax credits or, or reforms on regulation, he, he has said, is, is, um, is not really addressing the issue. Uh, and then, Kathy, to those points, to be fair, the Obama administration did set up a, uh, uh, a, a new little agency at DOT to look at this, and this had been a priority uh, of you know, former Secretary Fox and Secretary LaHood. That's true, yeah. And, and I mean, I think it's worth mentioning that both of the last highway bills, MAP 21 and the FAST Act, both had fairly significant streamlining, um, you know, provisions in them. Of course, this is the locus of a lot of the pushback right now. And I think it's interesting if you, um, if you read through Secretary Chow's uh, testimony at EPW, like you mentioned, a lot of her testimony, she, she spent a lot of time, I'm talking about her prepared remarks, yeah. um, discussing how far they'd come in implementing those regulations. And I think, th so that's, that's the defense, that's the pre-buttle, right, against, um, against what's come, what she was, I'm sure, anticipating coming back from Democrats, which is, they've, which is in fact, what they've been saying, which is, let's, let's make sure that we get all this stuff moving before we do more. And the other thing that I think is worth watching is, you know, um, the, these two packages of streamlining provisions in FAST Act and MAP 21 had a champion in Barbara Boxer, who was very well-known quantity to the environmental community and carries, you know, carried a lot of weight yeah. on her own. And and I I I don't know. Maybe there is. I don't know. But I think it's worth a question of whether there is a facsimile of her now that can achieve something like that with Democrats on the Hill. Okay. And. Just to reemphasize that point, you know, I remember Boxer could single-handedly take a provision, a very high-profile provision during conference negotiations, you know, whether the freight, indu a freight industry provision, safety provision, whatever. Yeah, um, and that's a good point. Uh, let's stay on this topic, and I do want to talk realistically about steps forward. Um, and you know, we all cover Capitol Hill. There's a lot of talk in this town about stuff that are not infrastructure. Infrastructure Week, I talked to many stakeholders. They felt that their, the thunder was taken from them because of all the news that was happening, the White House press briefings. Uh, there's, um, you know, I talked to people on the Hill, even senior Republicans, they say that these distractions are not helpful. Uh, the Senate still has to do health care, tax reform, you know, it's huge. Let's not forget all the must-pass bills, FAA, spending bills, debt ceiling. Yeah. Melanie, so this is not a prediction, but work us through the landscape on Capitol Hill 
you know, between now and the fall when Schuster wants to have some sort of a markup? Well, I mean, it's going to be tough. It's no secret that there's a packed legislative calendar. Um, there's a lot of other distractions, although when you talk to some of these GOP lawmakers, especially now with the appointment of a special counsel, they said it takes the heat off of them a little bit. You know, now they can focus on their agenda. But, you know, I think the, they're going to run into problems now, especially with Democrats who are going to look at those dipping uh, approval ratings for the president, um, this tense atmosphere on Capitol Hill where you have Democrats calling for impeachment. Are those Democrats really going to turn around and say, let's work on this bipartisan trillion dollar infrastructure bill? Um, so I, I certainly think that, you know, these things could pose a problem for the president's agenda, not just for infrastructure, but for health care and tax reform as well. Um, so it's going to be an uphill climb, even for something as seemingly bipartisan as infrastructure. And we heard Chairman Bill Schuster of the House Transportation Committee say that, I remember he was at an event um, in earlier this year where he really uh, acknowledged that they, the Republicans need a victory. They need a victory yeah. in 2018 to he show He was just voters. saying that again to Jacob and I um, in the hallway the other day. You know, okay. there's, there's a lot of pressure on the White House here. And, Lawmakers are anxious to be able to take something home and point to a win, especially next year with these um, midterm elections coming up. Um, you know, I think if they do start marking up bills, you know, that signals a step forward. But if it's not over the finish line, um, I think they could run into some real problems. Well, the clock is ticking, right, Kathy? How do they? Yes. You got debt ceiling. In. You have everywhere you look, the calendar's packed, and then you're not here, you know, all of August. I think, actually, I mean, all of that, you know, that's happening sort of in the periphery. You've got the you know, issues with the FBI. You've got uh, tax, you know, the tax overhaul. You've got you know everything else that Congress is dealing with the debt ceiling uh, too. But I think even even among the authorizing committees, even among Senate Commerce and House Transportation, I think they're going to have an extraordinarily busy fall, simply because I don't see them finishing a full FAA reauthorization bill by September 30th. So they're going to have to do something. Um, and, you know, to the extent that uh, Chair Chairman Schuster said he wants to do this big bill, and I think that's that seems to me, at least at the moment, where most of his focus is going. Mm -hmm. The so mother think, of all bills. Right. Okay. So as we steam towards September 30th, I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about sort of what are we going to do with this infrastructure plan? It's going to have a markup. I think they're going to be consumed with whatever is happening with this FAA bill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So even, even beyond the other... Uh, possibly unrelated distractions, I think the authorizing committees are going to have a further very intense distraction in the form of that bill. Right. And then uh, Congress also in the, in the fall has that thing where they're required to do under the Constitution. I'm borrowing humor from James Inhofe, what's wrong with me? <laughs> uh, uh, appropriations. Right. Um, and, you know, talk about the dynamics of, you know, they've, they've done short-term extensions on appropes, uh, you know, we still don't have the fiscal 2018 budget, so where does the probes fit into all this? Well, I think uh, <laughs> they're behind. Uh, I think everybody would kind of acknowledge that. Um, Steny Hoyer, uh, the Democratic whip in the House, said on the floor this morning that um, they, he, I, I can't remember exactly what he said, but basically they are not where they need to be to, to pass the bills under regular order. That's nothing new. They don't usually pass bills under regular order. Um, but it's just one more thing to add to the to the legislative calendar, a, a big thing. Um, yeah. You know, the, the omnibus that came out was 1,600 pages, something like that. Um, so if you're going to talk about funding the government for a year, even if you're going to do it in one big bill rather than 12 appropriations bills, 
um, it's a big, it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that is the new, the new world order is, the regular order is gone. And um, I don't want to sound like an old man here, but I remember when I was a young kid, <laughs> there were little tiny individual bills that would pass through the House and Senate and clear by the president. Um, where do we go? What's the, you know, what's the scenario like if they don't get tax reform done this year or, you know, infrastructure this year? You know, how does 2018 look? Well, that is a great question. I mean, it's, it feels like anything could do happen between now and the Democrats win the House? Then. Oh, man. <laughs> You're asking the wrong person. I don't know about that one. But um, it, this week alone, we saw so many things happen, not related to infrastructure, that, you know, it does feel like anything could happen between now and 2018. It's really hard to predict um, what position the White House and the Congress is going to be in next year. Um, I do think that the closer we do get to the elections and they don't have something done, it just becomes harder and harder. It's harder to get stuff done in an election year. I think that's why there is so much interest in trying to get all these priorities through this year and not next year. Um, you know, especially if there are things that could be a little bit politically dangerous for people to vote on. I mean, you know, gas tax, like we said, probably not going to happen, but that, you know, it's way harder to do in an election year. Um, whether or not someone would actually lose their job, I don't know, but that concern will definitely be weighing heavily, more heavily on lawmakers next year when they take those votes. And to that point, I had a conversation this morning with the chairman of the How, the Highways and Transit Subcommittee, Sam Graves, and I brought up the everything's on the table uh, talking point, and he said, yes, but he's very pessimistic, a gas tax. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, an increase of the gas tax would happen, you know, this mm -hmm. Congress, maybe in the future. Uh, Kathy, I'm going to let you have the last word. Hopefully this is not a, a big provocative question, uh, but you brought up the FBI investigation. Uh, and I, I, I want to be as fair as possible in that President Trump campaigned on infrastructure. He borrowed from Joe Biden, talking about the third world status of airports. You know, he said, I'm the builder-in-chief. He missed the 100-day, you know, fake deadline for having a plan. Um, we have drips and sprinkles. You know, I'm hearing that the, princip the principal's thing is going to be in June, maybe July. Uh, you know, so this timeline keeps shifting. Right. What happens, you know, what's the, you know, just how do the dynamics look if the White House is unable to deliver something. Well, I think it, it looks poor, and I think it, it kind of already looks poor, because that was among his very first campaign promises, was to do this big infrastructure bill, and and he, frankly, he has all of the levers of power that he should need to have to do, to get this done. Um, but, but I will say, uh, it, it's not as simple as that, because it happened to the Democrats, too. The Democrats also had a moment where they had all the levers of power to get a gas tax passed or whatever whatever the priority should have been, would have been under a Democratic administration, didn't happen. Um, and, it, and it, you know, trying to get that kind of thing moving in that short order is, is, a, is, a, is a difficult thing. It's a really big lift. And I think one thing that one thing that almost inoculates them in some ways is that I don't think anybody really expected it to happen. So I think that in that time in that time frame, nobody really expected them to get a full bill introduced and done in, in 100 days. Um, so I think that that understanding actually might give them some some time. And I also think, in terms of the stakeholders, I think if they get something done at some point, they'll be pretty happy with it. 
Um, Just like they were for the Fast Act. That's right. I mean, it wasn't everything they wanted, but they were happy to get something. And I think that'll that'll buy them a lot of goodwill. And I do think they're they're clearly trying. They're at least still talking about it. And I think that, that goes a long way, too. Okay. Let's leave it there. Um, and thank you for joining us today. I thought we had a really good discussion. Um, obviously, there's more work to be done on the infrastructure front. And we'll continue to follow your work. Um, I'd like to thank you, Jacob, Jacob Fischler of CQ Rocal, uh, Catherine Wolf of Political Pro, uh, and Melanie Zanona of The Hill Newspaper. Uh, and thank you to our viewers who joined us as well. If you missed part of the show or would like to watch it again, a replay will be posted later on our website, ttnews.com, and on liveonweb.ttnews.com. Our next Live on Web program is scheduled for June 14th, when we will look at the race to automated trucking, hosted by my colleague Seth Clevenger. Until then, thank you for joining us.